I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lights, nothing personal. Word of the day for Thursday, October 7th, 2021 is lights, as in journey. Sing it with me if you know it. When the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on the bay. Don't turn it off. That's a song about San Francisco by a band called Journey. Little known fact, if you do the research, that amazing, famous platinum song was going to be about Los Angeles. It was going to be when the lights go down in the city and the sun shines on L.A. But Journey's from San Francisco. And Steve Perry, the lead singer, said, no, let's make it about San Fran. Let's change it from L.A. to Bay, as in San Francisco, by the Bay. Why am I talking about Journey? Because the Giants right now, don't stop believing. Start a National League Division Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Two teams that have won 107 and 106 games, respectively, will now play a best of five series because Chris Taylor, a player who was eight for his last 72, sees a 2-1 slider from the Cardinals closer, Reyes it hangs there like a perfectly folded shirt that comes back from the dry cleaner. You look at it, it's crisp. There's not one wrinkle. You know when you put your arm through the sleeve and you close your collar that you're going to feel fresh. That slider hung up there. And Chris Taylor said, let's go to the bay. Hits a walk-off home run in an elimination game. The last one was Edwin Encarnacion back five years ago. It's so rare that this stuff happens. Who had Chris Taylor in the walk-off pool? Chris Taylor was a defensive replacement last night. You may not have stayed awake because it was a four-and-a-half-hour game, but hopefully you did because we went live after and did that YouTube post-game show that was so much fun to do because that game entertained me but it was also too long. It represented everything that's wrong and right with baseball. The building to a crescendo, the intense intensity. Can I say that? Intense intensity? Or is intensity just intense to begin with? Is that redundant? The intensity of the game builds runners left in scoring position. The Cardinals can't get a run across after a wild pitch lets in a run in the first inning. The Dodgers get a home run from Justin Turner, who, by the way, now has the record for home runs for a Dodger, record for postseason home runs for a third baseman. He is quite something that Mets non-tender. Don't cry, Coca. It'll be okay. 
No one can score. Cardinals have runners on base every inning. There's no one, two, three. The Dodgers do bullpen arm after bullpen arm. People are throwing 96, 97 with movement. Max Scherzer is furious that he gets put out of the game in the fourth inning, starts to get drunk immediately. So after the game, he's doing shirtless interviews while slurring his words. That's a funny interview that he did. By the way, you know, you know, you don't get drunk in post-game celebrations. You get drunk after the post-game celebration is over because all the alcohol in the post-series clinching celebration ends up in your eye or on the floor on the carpeting. The amount that you actually drink is de minimis. So I'm not buying the whole Scherzer was drunk thing. I am buying the fact that he wasn't wearing a shirt though. Max Scherzer. Four and a third, doesn't want to give the ball to Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts walks out, wants to get the ball from him. And Max Scherzer extends his hand and shakes the hand of his manager. He doesn't go full Bauer. He doesn't take the ball and whip it. He doesn't disrespect his manager. He just says, what are you doing? I'm Max Scherzer. And then he runs behind the plate. He sees his agent, Scott Boras. And he says, Scott, I'm not resigning with this team. Get me to a team where they'd keep me in past four and a third. I want to go six, seven, eight innings. I'm 37 years old and I can do it. Look at me without a shirt. I'm in shape. Boris was in first row next to Juan Soto, that great Washington Nationals player, wearing a jersey of Trey Turner, who's now on the Dodgers, who hit into a double play as the batting champion with a chance for the Dodgers to get on the board. Couldn't get it done. The game had everything last night. It's exactly what we dreamt of when these elimination games were invented. That type of drama to get the playoffs rolling. And just like that, boom, the Cardinals are done. Don't take away from what they did in September. 11 straight road games, 17 overall, 19 of 22, brought themselves from nowhere into the playoffs. They get to say they were in the playoffs, even though they flew home last night back to St. Louis. But the Dodgers, thank God, won the game. Not because they're the pick of the day, which was nice. But the reason why I was rooting for the Dodgers is that it would have been a complete nightmare for baseball had the Dodgers lost. They wanted Dodgers playing the Giants. They wanted the two best teams playing in this five-game division series because it's going to be an intense five games. But more importantly, Rob Manford did not want MLB owners to even have an inkling of a thought that these elimination games were going to go away. The elimination games are critical for revenue. They're critical for fan engagement, critical for fan excitement. But in order for them to continue, you need 23 owners to say they want them to continue. And if they look up and see a team can win 106 games and be home on the couch after 24 hours of October, That would be a no vote. So the Dodgers found a way to move on. What's going to happen against the Giants? How many people think that the Giants can beat the Dodgers? Anybody? I do. And I'm a convert. One of the things that made me not the best executive I could be is that it would take me a extra long time to believe that what I was seeing was real versus what I thought I was going to see as being real. It's a, it's a slight difference, right? When you're heading on a, a vacation and you picture what it's going to be 
and you picture the sites that you're going to see or the museums you're going to go to or the bars you're going to visit or the people you're going to meet and you have this vision of what you want it to be and then all of a sudden it happens and it's not what you had envisioned except you're not willing to admit that because you so badly want what you thought was going to happen to happen that you actually change the reality of your situation. And you say the people you're meeting are the people you thought you'd meet and they're as beautiful as you want them to be and the sights are as beautiful, et cetera. But then there's a moment that comes when you stop being delusional. You take stock of where you really are and you say, wow, I really don't like this place the way I thought I did. Or the other way works too. When you're despondent that you don't want to do an errand or you don't want to do a family event or you don't want to do something that your significant other wants you to do and you expect that you're going to be miserable and it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy you make yourself miserable but then you take a breath you step outside yourself and say you know what i'm actually having fun i'm willing to change my view and say this is fine i'm okay to do it that's how i am with the san francisco giants the entire season i was waiting for them to fold Every month, I would say, there's no way they're going to hold on. The Padres and Dodgers are going to catch them. The Padres, the Padres, the Padres faded. Done. We'll get to that later in the show. I promise you. The Giants never faded. Do you know the Dodgers, after acquiring Max Scherzer at the deadline, which may go down in history as the greatest deadline acquisition combo of Trey Turner and Max Scherzer from the Nats? I believe the Dodgers were 30 games over 500 in the 58 games that they played together. I believe they were 44 and 14, Coca. And they didn't catch the Giants. They made up one game. Can you imagine going 30 and zero, which is 30 games over 500, and not winning something? Well, that's what happened to the Dodgers. But even while it was going on, the Giants know they're they September. They they're having career years from everyone. Chris Bryant, all of a sudden, from the Cubs after the deadline, is now producing. He's hitting home runs. Wait, now Brandon Belt's hurt. That's it for the Giants. Longoria, he's washed up from Tampa. Crawford, Posey, what are those guys? Ninety years old between them, they can't last a full season. They're going to be exhausted. Then September rolls around, and then we're two weeks into September. The Dodgers are hot. The Dodgers are not losing at home. The Dodgers are definitely going to win the NL West, and the Giants are going to have to play the Cardinals in the wild card game. Box score, Giants win, Dodgers win. Next day, Giants win, Dodgers win. Next day, Giants win, Dodgers win. The Giants don't lose. So last night was the night, Coca. I had Journey in my ear. When the lights go down in the city, the sun is shining on the bay. The Giants are a good team. They're a 107-win team. That's the best record. Barry Bonds on the Giants in all those great years when Dusty Baker was manager, Philippe Lou was manager. They had Bonds going to the World Series, steroids, the whole package, the fighting with Jeff Kent. Remember those days? They never won a hundo, seven ever career franchise best you got to be a believer so it's not that i've stopped believing don't start believing Just cut that i totally screwed it up damn it 6 10 69 do start 
believe in, well, I now believe in the San Francisco Giants. It's going to be a great series to watch. So someone who was watching the YouTube postgame sent something to me on Twitter, David P. Sampson, having subscribed to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, for which I'm appreciative. We're going to keep doing those postgames sporadically throughout the postseason when there's elimination games or something cool going on. Asked a question, and I want to answer it. Hey, David, I was listening back to the live stream after the game. Great stuff. Thank you. It was very late at night on the East Coast. On the show, you said, can you possibly elaborate on not liking the Dodgers because they use their money as a sword and not a shield to bully teams? I've never heard that take before. I think I've talked about it. I'd like to believe you're new to the show, and I appreciate that, and I don't take it for granted, and we're going to keep going. But the Dodgers do something that make them the most hated team in baseball by the other 29 teams. It's people don't hate the Rays. People are jealous of the Rays, but they don't hate them. People are jealous of the money the Dodgers have, and they hate them. And the reason they do is what the Dodgers do is they call up teams. Not, it's not just the Marlins. They call up any team. And they say, hey, do you have any direct that we can have? Hey, that guy's way overpaid. You sign that international sign for 10 million bucks, we'll take him. He's not good. He's not going to be in the big leagues. Oh, you signed that free agent to a 40-year, $80 million deal, and you want to take his money off the books? No problem. I'm in. But here's what we need from you. We're going to need some of your best prospects. We're going to need some more international draft money because now everyone gets the same amount of international pool money, but we want to sign the best players. And to do it, we need to acquire extra international slot money. So we'd like to acquire some of the money that you have that you can't afford to spend anyway. We'll take it. We'll take your prospects. In return, we'll take your overpaid players. We'll either play them, get rid of them, pay them. We don't care. They flaunt their money like Richard Gere and Pretty Woman taking Julia Roberts shopping. There is a level of irrational exuberance when it comes to the Dodgers and how they operate. That made me crazy as the president of the Marlins because I knew no matter how hard I worked, no matter how smart I was or the people who I hired, no matter how good, we could never be the Dodgers. And one of the most important things when you are running a baseball team is to be able to cover up your mistakes. And believe me, the Dodgers have not been perfect in their draft. They have not been perfect in their signings. They have not been perfect in their trades. But they've got the money to cover it up in a way that other teams don't, like 28 other teams don't. And when you've got that kind of money, you don't need the discipline to be right because you think you're going to make it up on volume. And that's why baseball is so interesting to me. You get 20 bullpen arms and see who sticks. You sign players to minor league split contracts, but you pay them more when they're in AAA than other teams are willing to pay, and those minor league free agents will sign with you. You take has-been free agent players in their 30s, and you say, hey, we'll try it. Now, Albert Pujols is not an example because the Angels release Pujols, so the Angels are paying Pujols. How good do they feel that Albert Pujols has now won more playoff games as a Dodger 
than he did in the entire 10-year, $240 million contract that Artie Moreno and the Anaheim Angels signed him to. One, number of games, W-O-N by Pujols is an angel is Z-E-R-O. Number of games, W-O-N by Pujols as a Dodger retread reclaim, O-N-E. He's not good enough to start against a righty anymore. That's why he wasn't in the starting lineup last night. They pinch him in the ninth inning, and he flew out to center field. The old Albert Pujols back in the day, back when he was in his 40s, he's hitting those home runs. But you know what? The Dodgers are good. They'll take him. So my frustration is that when you have a team that can use money as a sword like that, by definition, they're going to be more successful. By definition. Am I jealous? Yeah. Do the Padres have a chance to catch the Dodgers? No, they don't. I'm sorry, Padres fans. I know you were excited with the $175 million payroll. You were excited thinking that you were going to have a great season because you've got the greatest GM ever, the greatest trades ever, the greatest rotation ever. You got Machado, you got Tatisa, MVP candidate, though I think he loses to Harper. You're set, you're ready, living the dream. And then you win 79 games and then you fire your manager. The San Diego Padres, as we predicted, fired their manager yesterday. Jace Tingler, after two years, winning 116 games and losing 106, bye-bye. Do you know how that conversation went? Because Tingler was only hired because Preller and Tingler are really close friends. And he thought that he was making a baller move, right? I'm going to bring in this guy who has no experience and he's going to be the next genius. Of course, he's going to do what I tell him to do, but this is going to work because we've got money from ownership and I'm going to trade for and sign the best players. And I'm going to look like I'm so good. I'm going to win executive of the year. Hi, my name's AJ. I'm executive of the year. Look at our team. We caught the big bad dodges. Nope, didn't quite happen. So AJ Preller had to make an announcement. That's what we would do. We would make RGM make the announcement when the firings happened, but then the owner or I would make the announcement when the managers were hired. But here's the quote from AJ Preller. Jace accomplished a great deal in his two seasons with the Padres, leading our team through an unprecedented pandemic and into the postseason for the first time in 15 years. Hmm then why are you firing him? He'd been the manager for seven years. And you had a quote that said, Jace accomplished a great deal in two out of the seven years. I'm in. Fire his tuchus. But if you've accomplished a great deal over the only two years you've managed, I'm going to need a better reason. Let's hear what he had to say. I have tremendous respect for him as a coach, colleague, and friend. OMG. If I- what words missing from that statement? Wait for it. It starts with an M and ends with an R, and it's got anage in between. I guess he doesn't have great respect for him as a manager. Hmm. And then he keeps going. After much thought and consideration, we always say that. And don't worry, totally ignore that. There's not much thought and consideration. You have to make a change when you're a team that's supposed to win and you don't win. You know you're going to fire your manager. That's just how it goes. The owners told you you're going to fire your manager, no matter what the owner says. There's not thought and consideration that you've given. After much thought and consideration over the last several weeks, we felt change was necessary at this time to ultimately reach our championship potential in San Diego. We, who's we? The royal we. Megan and Harry said, we need change. That's how we're going to get the Dodgers. We're going to put a new guy in the manager's office. 
I loved when we would say that. We said it too. We need a new voice. We need a disciplinarian. Our manager's been too easy on the guys. We need a guy who's easy. This guy we're firing was too tough. Ran it like a prison. We need a new voice. Why do you feel that change is necessary when there's been a great deal of accomplishment? Isn't change necessary when there hasn't been a great deal of accomplishment? Isn't change necessary when the players on the team have come to your office and said, who is this guy? This guy doesn't know how to manage. What do you do when the owner comes into your office and you're the GM after a season where you've been the biggest disappointment and say, all right, what's our plan? You got to say something because what you don't want to say is, wow, we made some bad trades and some bad signings. We got outworked and outplayed by the Dodgers and the Giants. That guy, Farhan, whoo, he's pretty good in Frisco. No, you don't say that. Man, I love Andrew Friedman. No, you don't say that. If you're AJ Preller, you say to your owner, Peter Seiler, you say, hey, listen, I know that you're the chairman of the team and I just want you to know I've got this. The problem the whole time, it's been Tingler. My bad, let's redo it. Peter Seidler gets on the phone and does an interview and drops one of the top 10 lines. Here it is, ready? What's your view of AJ Preller's job status? Ah, thank you for asking. AJ Preller's job is as safe as a GM's job can be. What you talking about, Peter? What does that mean? As safe as a GM's job can be? Or GM, aren't their jobs always in jeopardy? Isn't that what you're doing as an owner of a team? You're evaluating your employees at all times. Don't you evaluate your employees based on results? When they say that the company is going to produce a level of profit or a level of sales and it doesn't, and the company is underperforming, don't you then make a change? You change up your commission structure. You change up your sales staff. You change up your management. Don't you do something? Why is someone's job safe when the team has underperformed year after year under Preller, when there's been nothing but disrespect by other executives towards Preller and complete disdain and contempt, contempt cut, 40, 69. When there's been complete disdain and contempt for your front office, and the results have not been there, and you go on an interview and say, hey, it's as safe as a GM's job can be. It's so safe that we extended him through 2026. My God, the photos that Preller must have of Seidler. My God, Magnum. So the Padres are firing him. I got an extra wait to see here. This isn't the wait to see for today, but I'm adding it, Coca. Because Peter Seidler in his phone interview also said, also said this, major league managing experience is not a requirement for the next manager. Horsehockey. I'm not losing my voice. It's total horse hockey. Wait to see. The Padres will hire a manager with major league managing experience. They have no choice. Extra wait to see. All right, we come back. We're going to review a show on Apple Plus that I'm going to beg Coca to watch, and he is going to say no, and we're going to convince him. And then I'm going to explain to you why my wait to see about Theo running the Mets 
is not going to come true. We will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. You've come across this show because you downloaded it. You subscribe, you rate, you review. You may have seen clips on YouTube. Please keep doing what you're doing. Tell your friends about our show because we have fun here morning, noon, and night. Coca doesn't sleep. I don't sleep. We just do content every day, 45 minutes. We review a movie every day. If you're new to me, then you may not know how much I love Broadway. If you're new to me, you may not know how much I love musicals. If you're new to me, you may not know how much I like to sing and have the worst raspy voice of all time. But I have such great respect for the arts, such great respect for people who write book and lyrics of musicals on Broadway or screenwriters for movies or TV shows or miniseries. There is a Broadway musical called Come From Away. Come From Away won the Tony in 2000 and something as the best musical. I want to say 17, but that seems wrong to me. Come From Away is about what happened on 9-11, but not about the Twin Towers, not about the nightmare terrorism that took place and all the deaths that took place. Come From Away takes place in a town called Gander, which is a little town in Newfoundland. What did they have to do with 9-11? Well, when the Twin Towers got hit by the planes, one of the first things that happened is airspace shut down. All planes had to land. Any plane going cross-country from Europe, the continent, to North America, you fly over the ocean. You don't go straight across. You sort of fly over the globe. Gander is the place where planes used to stop to refuel. They have this big, beautiful airport there because they wanted to attract all of the planes that were traveling across the ocean. But then jumbo jets got invented and planes could go all the way from Europe, Paris, London, Rome, wherever, direct to New York, no problem. They didn't have to stop in Gander anymore. But on 9-11 when all planes had to be grounded immediately, you had 38 planes land in Gander with around 7,000 people descending upon this small little town where there is zero ability or capacity to handle that number of people. And they were stuck there from Tuesday, September 11th up until Saturday, the 15th of September. 
And this musical is about what happened in that town, the relationships that were formed, the memories that were made, the, the crying, the sorrow, the laughing, the togetherness, the camaraderie. When you watch it, turn on the subtitles. It goes fast and the lyrics are brilliant. So you're going to want to pay attention to subtitles in English or whatever language you want. And then realize that the characters in this play, in this musical, they play multiple characters. They're on stage the entire hour and 50 minutes. Please watch Come From Away. You will enjoy it. So yesterday there was a meeting between Steve Cohn, who needs a new president of baseball operations, and Theo Epstein. And word got leaked, I wonder from where, that Theo would not be joining the Mets. That's it. I predicted from the beginning that Theo had a deal with Steve Cohn to get a piece of the Mets. Theo was going to take a year off working Major League Baseball. Theo brought his guys in. Who were his guys? Zach Scott and Jared Porter. Remember those Mets names? One of them got suspended for DUI. One of them got suspended for sexual harassment. Those were Theo's guys, just FYI. So I thought the plan was in place. Theo would make more than Andrew Friedman. He'd get about 15 mil per year, plus an ownership piece, one to 3% of the Mets, a team in theory worth a couple billion dollars. Theo comes in and gets the Mets a World Series. Theo goes to the Hall of Fame, having won a World Series with the Red Sox to break the curse, a World Series with the Cubs to break the curse. And then he goes to the dysfunctional Mets, who haven't won a World Series since 1986, brings them a World Series, and he's got the Holy Trinity. The Yankees can't win. We know this. The Mets become the talk of New York because they have an owner who's got the resources, who's going to let Theo do his job. And he will go down as the greatest executive of all time. What happened to that plan? You screwed it up, Stevie. That's what happened to the plan. Theo said, you know what? Uh, I can't win in New York. You're way too involved. Sandy Alderson is way too involved. I'm not going to deal with Sandy Alderson the way I had to deal with Larry Lacchino in Boston. No chance. I'm not going to deal with Sandy Alderson and Steve Cohen the way I had to deal with the Ricketts in, in Chicago and with Joe Madden. No chance. It's going to be my show, Steve. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to pay me till it hurts? Are you ready to stop tweeting? Are you ready to not have one thing to say about who I sign, who I hire? Are you ready? Nope. I don't think I'm quite ready for that. I'm having too much fun here playing fantasy baseball and Sandy's not ready to leave the organization because he wants his son to be the GM one day. And believe me, I'm all into nepotism. I'm the beneficiary of nepotism. But the thing about nepotism, you better be good at what you do. Because nepotism gets you in the door. It doesn't let you stay inside the house. I kicked down that door like it was made of hay. And it turned out to be made of steel. I broke a few toes. But I lasted 18 years. There's a reason why what's going on in New York is going on in New York. Theo wanted no part of it. People are going to say, hey, Samson, you were right. Theo wants to be commissioner. And he thinks that being commissioner, being in the commissioner's office, 
gives him the best path to be the next commissioner. I maintain that Theo will not get 23 votes to be commissioner, even though he wants that. I maintain that Theo wants to be part of an ownership of a team. I maintain that Theo wants to make more money than Andrew Friedman and wants to be part of building another World Series champion. I believe those things are still the case, but it was not going to happen in New York. And the disappointing part about this for Mets fans is not that Theo's the greatest executive since sliced bread, because there's a lot of great executives out there now. It's that when someone like Theo says, I'm not interested in this situation, you have flashbacks to last year when the Mets couldn't hire a president of baseball ops and you excused it by saying, but they really did because Theo was there. And Theo's the one who was running the team from the sidelines. Theo's the one who was bringing people into place as he was planning his entry into the team. And then you go back in time and you say, whoa, wait a minute. I totally was wrong. It was total misdirection. It was never going to be Theo. The Mets are going back to the drawing board. You're hearing rumors about Billy Bean leaving Oakland. The savior, the Brad Pitt doppelganger coming to New York. Not going to happen. David Stearns from Milwaukee. Grew up a Mets fan from New York. Started his career with the Mets. I'm coming home, baby. Not going to happen. The Mets will have to find the next David Stearns, the next Theo Epstein, the next Billy Bean. To do that, you need someone to help you. And it can't be Sandy. Because Sandy wants the next Theo to be his son. And I get it. Believe me, I love that. It's going to be a tough road for you Mets fans. I'm sorry, Scott. All right. Someone asked me a question on uh, So You Want to Talk to Samson, and we've got a couple of series starting today. There's more playoff baseball. We've got the White Sox playing the Astros in a fascinating series. Two octogenarian owners. Oh, stop that. Stop. I'm tired. Six, eight, nine. We have two 77 and 72-year-old managers, like 149 years, and someone had a question. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So here's the question. Hey, David, love the show today. I just wanted to follow up. Can you explain the inner workings at the top of the organization when making a decision on someone like Carlos Correa after a season like this? Thanks in advance. Carlos Correa is on the Houston Astros. The Astros who are managed by Dusty Baker, not A.J. Hinch. They're playing the White Sox managed by Tony La Russa. This is a five-game series where the Astros are on a redemption tour. They've got everyone from that garbage-making team, buzzers, garbage cans, sign-stealing, except George Springer. He's gone. Garrett Cole, gone. Wait a minute. Some of the best players from that team are gone. And they're still winning their division? And they still won over 90 games? Wait a minute. Could the Astros actually be a good team? Could Altuve still be an MVP type player without help from anything? Is Guriel really 37 years old and playing the way he's playing? 
is Korea at 27 years old, the best shortstop in the game without any additional help? Is that possible? Well, we're going to find out in this five-game series. But what do you do when you've got a free agent like Carlos Correa, who's going to command at least $25 million a year? You've already made your bed with Jose Altuve. There is very little chance that you can have two position players making that type of money on those type of long-term deals. You know very well that Carlos Correa is not going to be re-signed. You've made that decision before the playoffs have even started. That's why Correa got the ovation he got. That's why Dusty Baker gave him the exit at the end of the regular season that he gave Correa so he could get the standing ovation. The way we make a decision based on whether or not to re-sign one of your own players who has been such a part of your organization from the beginning. Correa was a number one pick by the Astros. Hometown, homegrown. How hard is it to let a player like that go? If you're good at your job, it's not hard at all. Because you know that in order to win, you have to pick your players who you are going to extend and that's who you live with, and you sprinkle them with shorter-term free agents, the two-year type of Brantley deals that they've been doing. They've done multiple two-year deals, I think, with Brantley, so it's like he got a four-year deal. But Carlos Correa at 27 could easily get a 10-year deal, and you can't do that if you're the Astros. We talked about the Dodgers being willing and able to do deals like that, even though Andrew Friedman doesn't like doing them rarely signs players, if ever, to huge long-term deals like that because he wants all the money and the flexibility. The Astros are smartly run now that Jeff Lunau has gone. So Carlos Correa, the reason why he's not re-signed is that is the trap that bad teams fall into. I can't move on from my guy. The Cardinals, if the Cardinals can move on from Albert Pujols and let him sign with the Angels, the Astros can let go of Carlos Correa and let him sign with the Yankees. The Yankees are going to be desperate for a shortstop. Correa is a perfect fit for them. Steinbrenner is going to be desperate to hand out money like it's coming off a tree because they cannot win and they've got the ability to do it. The Astros, for how good they've been, for the size of the payroll they have, they do not have the revenue that the Yankees or the Dodgers have. They don't have the ability to charge the same ticket prices that a winning team in LA or New York can do. So when I am going through my decisions, I'm thinking about not just the emotion of losing a player who I've grown up with and loved. I'm looking at my payroll three, five years down the line. How good is my team going to be if I'm paying Altuve Correa what could amount to $60 million? it would make it extremely difficult to win. So the way it works is an owner would go to a GM and say, hey, what are we doing with Correa? A good GM would say, what are you doing with payroll? I'm going to need the five-year plan. The owner says, well, I'm not going to lose money. GM says, fine, let me go visit the CFO. Show me the sales projections and the revenue projections from baseball and from Central Baseball, show me how much more money we're getting from the broadcast deals. Show me where you think ticket prices are going. Show me your outward budget for one, three, and five years, which all teams have. Then I'm going to the owner and I'm saying, this is the payroll that we need in order to have Correa and Altuve. Are you willing to approve 
Jim Crane, this payroll right now. Jim Crane says, I cannot guarantee that payroll. I'm not going to do it. That is literally how the decision happens. It's that simple. I always appreciate those questions. The inner workings are fascinating to me because I was part of them for so long and I was no smarter than the other people. I was no less smart than the other executives, but it happens in a way where you are making decisions that require you to run it like a business, but we usually keep it to ourselves. So we had the Dodgers in the pick of the day. We're 129 and 110. Let's preview two series that are happening. We've got the White Sox playing at the Astros. You've got Lance McCullers going in game one against Lance Lynn. You've got Lance Lance, not an Armstrong to be found on either roster. The White Sox, people are picking them to beat the Astros. I am not. I am, however, picking the White Sox to win game one. Lance Lynn has been one of the best offseason pickups, period, by any team. He was jettisoned by the Rangers who wanted Lance Lynn to help them open their new stadium. Then the pandemic hit. There were no fans. They had no revenue. Lance Lynn posts every five days, unbelievably consistent and effective, and they had to trade him. The White Sox under Jerry Reinsdorf were only too happy to take Lance Lynn, and he has performed. McCullers has become the de facto ace of the Astros. Do you know the Astros are paying Zach Greinke money? 20 or $30 million? Zach Greinke is still on the Astros. Zach Greinke, middle of the rotation guy, at best, at best. It was great when you could hide him behind Verlander, hide him behind Cole, when he had to be the guy in Arizona. Nope. Not good enough. The guy in Houston, nope, not good enough. So Lance McCullers, their number one pitcher, goes against Lance Lynn tonight. I'm taking the White Sox. So you're saying to yourself, how can you pick a team to win game one of a five-game series when all you have to do is win three games? And therefore, once the White Sox win tonight, the Astros have to beat the White Sox three out of four times just to advance to the league championship series and the right to play the winner of the Rays Red Sox. How can you do that? Watch me. White Sox win tonight, then lose three out of the next four, and the Astros win this series in five games. I'm actually going to let that be another wait to see. The Astros will win this series in five. Even if I'm wrong on the pick of the day, I think this series goes the distance. I think a bunch of series are going to go the distance in the division series. And that is exciting because game fives are elimination games. That means the potential for some post-game shows. Who knows? So that's the game, the early game today. If you haven't listened to this, the game may be over, in which case I'm going to redo my pick. The night game is the Boston Red Sox, who just eliminated the Yankees. They are going to Tampa. They're in Tampa. They're right now sleeping at the Renaissance Vinoy. They're trying to sleep late. Then they're getting up. Going to have some brekkie. Sometimes in the coffee shop at the Renaissance Vinoy. Sometimes they do room service. There are a few good diners in St. Pete downtown. Then they're going to get on the bus and go to the trop. And they're going to try to somehow get the emotional fortitude to play the Tampa Bay Rays. There's going to be a big crowd in Tampa for the playoffs. Yes, there will but the Red Sox are going to run into an absolute gauntlet of rookie pitchers, the likes of which none of you have seen. McClanahan, game one pitcher. Who? Who's that? 
That's a guy better than Chris Sale, Nathan Ivaldi, and Eduardo Rodriguez. That's a guy making the minimum who's a better pitcher than all of them. That's what makes Tampa so good. They've got people who make minimum who can outplay the players who make maximum. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that why everyone wants to be at the city by the bay? Not in Frisco, but in Tampa? Raise over the Red Sox. I'll do a double up wait to see on this series. This is going to be a quickie. Quickies happen when there's such a rational exuberance, right? That you don't slow anything down. It just, it like a lightning bolt. It just happens. And then you're done and you don't even know what you just did. That's what's going to happen with the Red Sox. They found a way to eliminate the Yankees, much to the chagrin of the Major League Baseball and of the networks. The Red Sox are thinking, hey, we can do this. We can win this World Series. We've got the talent. Nope. They're going to lose to the Rays. They may not even win a game. I'm going to say Rays in four just because maybe the Red Sox can win one game at best. If we, can we bet that the Rays sweep? Is there like a, a line for that, Coco, where you can say that you get paid for, for the Rays to sweep? Because the Rays are favored in this series. I wonder whether there's a line that you can do by signing up. Are you watching all these commercials, by the way, for DraftKings and for FanDuel and all these places where you can online bet and all these places where it's legal, et cetera? There must be a way to bet on a sweep. And I wonder whether or not that's plus money, meaning if you risk a dollar, you get paid more than a dollar. Coke is going to find out and let us know, but it may not be during today's show. But if you can take the race to sweep, but I'm predicting raise in four. So those are my two way to seize. Astros in five, Rays in four. My picks of the day, Astros over the White Sox and Rays over the Red Sox today. Well, I'll tell you. Oh, what is it, Coca? No way. The Rays are, it can't be. Check that. He's telling me the Rays are plus 460 for a sweep. If you bet a dollar, you get back $46 if they sweep. If you bet $100, you get back $460 if they win three in a row against the Red Sox. We're taking that. Sign me up. What's my username? I don't even know whether I'm in a legal state. All right, I got to go. It's just business, right? Sorry, Boston. It's nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.